This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 227 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Johnny Wolf with Homeroom. Homeroom helps investors purchase properties out of state and provides a turnkey solution that helps them rent out the home room by room to maximize the rents. So if you want to learn how to boost your rents by renting out your properties by the room, then you need to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. The more reviews we get, the more the show will grow, which will help us do more cool stuff. And this real estate market has been incredibly hot. And if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for rental properties with rates as low as 4%, then you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now, on to the show. All right, Johnny, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, Sean, great to be here. Uh, I'm Johnny Wolf. I'm the CEO of Homeroom. We're the fastest growing co-living company in the United States on a percentage basis. And we're based out of Kansas City. We're located in Austin, Texas and Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, I started my real estate career focusing on investing out of state in Texas while I was working in the Silicon Valley, just because buying real estate investment properties in the Bay Area is impossible, or it's just very difficult and slow. So that's what I did. Moved to Austin, Texas in 2015 to invest in real estate full time. Um, Wanted to cash flow. So I did rent by the room properties. And that's how I lived in the Bay Area. So it was pretty easy for me to do that. And I was I had got great returns. So I thought, hey, maybe there's a way to make this into a business for real estate investors who live in California like I did, looking to invest out of state and just feel like the traditional turnkey approach uh, doesn't have much value to add. So that's what we're doing today. We're helping investors buy co-living properties and we're in three cities today, but plan on being nationwide in the next few years. That's awesome. And before we go into your company homeroom, you you kind of glossed over how you just casually transitioned from a full-time job into real estate full-time in 2015. Do you want to talk about that transition and like the challenges that you faced when deciding to go full-time real estate? Absolutely. I'm an analyst by trade. That's my background is in finance. I did financial modeling professionally for like the Sims 4, you know, that's launched a billion dollar game franchise. So before I did that, I did a lot of financial modeling. I modeled each individual property I owned. Uh, how much cash flow was I going to get from it? If I bought a property every year in Austin, what would I do, especially if I rent out by the room? So it was just, it was just kind of careful planning. There wasn't, you know, but at the, at the moment of decision, it, it was just like leaping out and trusting myself to do that. So did you already have like this, like huge portfolio of properties in Austin before you switched? No, I had, I had a couple of properties in Midland, Texas at the time. Okay. And like, what would you say you were getting in like cash flow numbers before you were comfortable enough to leave your full-time job? Um, a couple thousand a month. Uh, I think, you know, when you're live, when you're doing rent by the room or you're doing the house hack model, the cool thing is that your rent's getting paid for. Um, and you know, I just like to play soccer and do Excel. So I don't have fancy hobbies. So. Got it. So your cost of living was super low and you were having all these properties and you're boosting the rents because you were doing this like uh, room by room rental model instead of just renting it all out. And then were you doing like self-managing as well? Yeah, I've been doing self-managing since 2015. I actually switched, you know, I, the, there's sort of that common uh, narrative where 
at a certain level of scale, it's like you need a property manager. And that actually happened to me last year. So I was, I had a fourplex, I had like a duplex in Austin, I had all these room by the room houses. I was self managing. Uh, once I started homeroom as a company, I started to realize like, I don't really have time to deal with like the, the duplex issues. Like one of the neighbors had a lot of cats. You're just like, I just don't care. <laughs> so at some point, getting property management, either I, so homeroom took over all my rent by the room properties. And then um, I got management for the other properties I own. Okay, makes sense. Um, so let's go into homeroom itself. Can you tell us a little bit what homeroom is, what is co-living and how does it work? Sure. So co-living is uh, roommate living with luxury apartment amenities. We focus on 21 and over. Um, you know, the average age is 27. Average credit score is 700. Folks are you know, young computer engineers um, is, I would say, a typical demographic of who we cater to. Uh, you know, we've never had to evict anyone because that demographic is, you know, they're paying 30 percent less than an apartment to rent a room in a standard single family house. Our investors pay to furnish the common areas. We get refurbished furniture, so it ends up being just, a, I think, 5000 all-in for furniture as well as the smart technology in the house and the kitchen essentials, kind of like setting up an Airbnb. Um, so we help the investors find those properties, and we find that the cash flow ends up being you know double on a percentage basis what they'd get with another type of uh, rental in that exact same neighborhood. So maybe a property... Um, Next to us is renting for sixteen hundred. We've had properties that the gross rent is like twenty seven fifty, so that ends up creating a lot more money. So we can create you know a lot better experience for the tenants. The investor makes more money, and then we take a lot better care of the property. Mm -hmm. So, like, where are you going to let's say source all of this furniture for these properties? Uh, furniture is actually one of the easy ones. Uh, we find local designers, and they become our partners in the city. We have one in Kansas City named Pammy. Pammy, she's lovely. She loves to go shop at um, estate sales. And so she'll buy used furniture, super cheap. She rolls around in like a, a trailer. And then when it's time to go, she has a storage facility that we pay, I think a couple hundred for. And then when a house launches, she deploys it in, in like a few hours. So the key is really getting with the designer. They love to do it. Um, you know, we used to buy Wayfair furniture, like, you know, as cheap as we could find. And what we found is that furniture is super uncomfortable and it breaks like super easily. But the used estate sale furniture, you know, used to be worth twenty grand, and now it's like in your house for two grand, and so that's that's the way we go. Dude, Wayfair isn't even cheap though. Like, I had an Airbnb as well, and uh, my property manager, like, they bought good stuff on Wayfair. You know, it's supposed to be high quality, and I was like, damn, nine hundred bucks for a chair? This is crazy. <laughs> yeah, man, furniture gets really crazy. The key though, in our in the history of our company, like, we like to talk to this on investor calls. Like, we've only had one chair break ever. <laughs> like. Like people are like, well, how do you have to repair the furniture? It's like, never. We've never had to repair a piece of furniture except for one piece, one chair. And that's because we're buying super high quality stuff from like rich people that, you know, it's their stuff's up for sale. Yeah. And like you mentioned, like you're not buying stuff that's, you know, kind of built together with like small sticks. From estate sales, these are the old furniture, which is very sturdy, lasts long, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. It lives longer than you do. Ikea is made to just to be destroyed in like, in like one of those anger rooms, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it, you know, it does not, uh, if you're an Ikea thing lasts a few years, you're like, wow, that was, that was a long road for that, that piece of furniture. Yeah. So, and it's worth it for like a hundred bucks. Right. So can you give us an example of like some of the states that you're operating in and why you chose those states specifically? Yeah. And this is a little quirk about me as I do, you know, I did a lot of um, demographic research using ArcGIS and other uh, tools before I picked the cities I, were, I was going to move to. I used primary residence loans in the properties I bought so I could get more leverage. 
Um, so in Austin, uh, basically the first state I wanted to go to was going to be the one that I thought had the highest appreciation potential over the next five years because I was looking for wealth gain. Cash flow is interesting, but I do think it doesn't really make a big dent in your net worth over time uh, when you compare it to really strong appreciation. So I analyze all the demographic trends. Where are the most people going? Where is Where are salaries going up the fastest? And it was Austin. Um, so that's where I chose Austin. And then we just ended up con- built the first home room there just because I was there. Moved to Kansas City. I did a similar analysis, but mostly focused on what's the best cash flow long term in terms of tax rates being low. Um, and prices, we think, you know, price appreciation is good, but if prices appreciate too drastically, um, rents can trail, then your cash flow can go down because taxes can catch up on your rents. Anyway, so this is a little bit, that was too much down the rabbit hole, I think, but I picked Kansas City first after doing similar research. So those are my two favorite markets in the U.S. Um, And then Dallas, we just thought it's a huge market. There's no co-living there. We love Texas for real estate investors in general. Yeah different reasons for each one, but two of them are per- personally picked for me by me. So I think you made a pretty smart bet. I mean, I remember when I first got into real estate investing, it was around the same time, like 2015, 2016. Um, my roommate and I were thinking like, oh man, Austin, Texas sounds pretty cool. You know, a lot of these like tech companies are going there, but we're like, ah, like, yeah, if it's like 400 or so for like a property in Austin, Texas, it's probably too expensive for us relative to let's say like other states. And then now, of course, that same property is now worth seven hundred or maybe eight hundred thousand because the market is so crazy. Yeah, man, it's uh, definitely properties that I own there have doubled in price in five years, which is like or shorter. That we've seen, and I'm sure you've seen it in the Bay as well, where um, properties have just gone insane for the last quarter. So, absolutely, yeah. So the past, like since 2021, right, January to right now, we were in June. Um, the prices have increased by about ten percent every single month. It's like. So ridiculous. I just did a market analysis yesterday. Yeah, like 10 or 14 days on market average, like 110, 120% sales price over a listing price. It's nuts, man. Yeah, and if you if you compound like a 10% appreciation, it's like, you know, in 10 short years, price, property prices will be like 4 billion. So you're like probably going to slow down at some point here. Because yeah, 10%, 10% monthly is like, it's like a SaaS company in their early growth phase. So it's like, this is not good for real estate. And so I'm, right. Makes me a little uneasy. Um, the one thing we tell our investors, especially, is like we don't. What we see is it definitely going slowing down. When is it going to slow down? Soon. How? How? When is that going to be? We don't know, but it's pretty soon. It can't keep going at this rate. Uh, it just starts to price people out across everything. Um, but we do think that prices will continue to appreciate because the underlying force that's driving this is really inventory scarcity, and we've been underbuilding for ten years. You can't just like magically create 4 million houses. And so we think the dynamics, there's going to be sustained price pressure. We're not, I don't, we may see like a light dip. I I don't even, I personally don't think that'll happen at all. So we think the sooner you can buy the better, it's still very, it's incredibly hard to buy right now. So yeah, my friend posted a picture. It was like two pictures side by side of like lumber, right? Like a thousand dollars in lumber last year got you this much, right? It's a big bundle. And then this year it's like two sticks. You know, Lumber prices have increased like crazy. They're not building them all off properties. Um, the city's shut down, right? So they don't have a lot of people pushing things through. Like I'm a hard money lender, right? And we're doing this loan for one of our clients who's trying to build like this 14 uh, townhouse development. But he has to go through so much paperwork that they won't even release his permit to even start building it. Yeah. And it's like, we need we need houses, guys. Like, can we just like 
we expedite the permit process. And the other thing that we're seeing as well is because we do remodels um, on some of these properties, because when you're trying to buy investor properties, you just you don't want to buy the pretty ones all the time. And so finding contract help right now is incredibly difficult because the the build starts have gone from 900,000 per year, seasonally adjusted last year to like 1.7 million today. So that just means like all the labor just getting sponged up. And so if you're in a position where you're trying to do flips, you're trying to do anything. Um, it's, it's getting crazy. If you try to add labor right now, it's, it's so hard. Yeah. You have to pay a premium for the work and they won't even come for your place to do small jobs. You know, like for example, like I have small things here in my house. They're like, nah, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's, we, we, we had seven contractors that said they would come out for a job. And none of them. So we're, we're starting to do, you know, you're starting to have to like do tricks, like where you, you double book and you do all these things to counteract that, which I think probably makes the problem a little worse, but like, what else can you do? Yeah. So, you know, one thing you also mentioned, uh, I actually never thought about this, but it's like how taxes can increase faster than your rents. Um, because unlike California, like California, we have prop 13 where your property taxes stay pretty much the same, only increase by 2% every year, but in other States you get reassessed every year. <laughs> So your property increases by two times, potentially your property taxes can increase by two times as well. And in a place like Texas, that's 3% of the new price, right? So it can get very expensive mm-hmm. very quickly. Yeah, that was one of the, you know, I, I think early in my analysis, like I was like real estate, I, I kind of, when I was doing that in like 2014, 2015, before I moved to Austin, I was looking at, and one of the fundamental thoughts was like, if you buy a property, your rents, your cash flow will just gradually spread because your mortgage is going to stay fixed, right? Theoretically, the principal and interest at least. And then everything else is going to rise. Your rents are going to go up. But I, I realized after looking at Austin that actually cash flow goes down over time because with with interest being, or with taxes being, like you said, really high and appreciation being really high, every year you own an Austin property, your, your net cash flow, even on an inflationary basis, goes down. So it gets really tight. So if you're going to buy an Austin, awesome, but also probably get another portfolio in a cash flow focused market like Kansas City, which is what I did. Mm, makes sense. So can you give me an example of some of the deals that you've done? Like what kind of property is it? How many you know bedroom, bathroom size and price? And then what is it rent for? Yeah, sure. I, the, the example that I just kind of talked about is a property in Kansas City. It We bought it for 210 or we, the investor, we helped the investor buy. Um, they bought it for two ten, uh, and before we bought it, it was a rental and it was renting for sixteen fifty. So this is like a real example. Uh, we converted it from a four three to a seven three, and then by the time we were done, fully occupied, it was renting out at a total twenty seven fifty. Not only is it renting out for in that case sixty percent more. But we also, the, the tenants in our pay for maid service monthly and they pay for yard care and they also pay for like gutter cleaning, um, you know, furnace filters. So your property gets catered for way better. There's no pets allowed, no kids. That's 21 over. So it's like you get all the things that you kind of want, which is like great property care, more rents and, um, you know, really cool tenants. So that 2750, that's like net to the investor or is that before paying for the both those numbers were gross. Sixteen fifty was the gross that they were renting out for before. Twenty seven fifty was what we what we get gross. And so we have two revenue models with investors. We um, you can either do essentially, which is a property management agreement or a revenue share, in which we'll take a percentage. 
Um, and so in that case, the, the investor would have gotten 24 or 25 or something, $2,400. Um, the other one is a guaranteed. We actually, there's a few companies doing this like us where we guarantee rent to you, but that number goes down. So the guaranteed rent would be, let's say 22,000. So you, but that's still, if you think about it, you get a guaranteed rent, great property care, and you're making $350 more than if you rented it out any other way. So for all that like maid service stuff and landscaping and whatnot, is that like on top of the $2,750 or is that kind of included? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's nice. That's on, top, that's on top and that's paid for by the tenants and that goes that money goes straight to those things, utilities, internet, yeah. services. And so who, who are these people who are like renting these rooms on like homeroom? Like how did they even find you guys in the first place? Uh, the roommate market is, you know, splintered. It's everywhere. It's on Craigslist. It's on, I mean, have you lived with roommates recently, Sean? Or? So actually, um, you probably don't know this, but this house here in the Bay Area, when I first moved here, I was I was lonely. You know, I had this house, I could afford it, but I was like, man, I don't want to live here. My whole life, I was living in apartments. I was living in you know, places with my friends. So I actually invited a lot of my friends who were in SoCal, who were also moving up to NorCal for work. And I was like, hey, come live with me. I'll give you guys super cheap rent. And so my house actually became like a little bachelor pad for a good like five years. Uh, until of course COVID happened, everyone moved in with their girlfriends. My girlfriend moved in with me, so now it's just us two in this big house. It's cool, man. Yeah, that's, I mean that's a, I, I mean that sounds fun. I mean I'll bet you that five years was like some of the best five years of your life. You guys, because yeah. like right after college, you actually have a little money. You can do fun stuff. You can throw cool dinner parties. So that was really kind of what inspired like co- like why I wanted to do COVID because like personally I just love it. I think it's cool to go to a new city, live with roommates, meet new people. Um, do 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 communal things together throw parties um and, and by parties i mean small dinner parties not crazy ragers we don't allow those at home room <laughs> so uh the average person is really someone like yourself or like me i live in one of our properties that's where i am right now uh someone you know 20 the you know 21 is the youngest we we allow but 21 to 30 you know upper 30s we do have people in their 40s 50s 60s um Roommates get to talk to each other before someone gets accepted to a homeroom. So they have to be a good fit. Um, but our average age is 27. So typically a 27 year, a group of 27 year olds is going to be talking to you. And so it doesn't really matter what age you are as long as that that's a good fit. Hmm. Um, do you guys have like a minimum stay requirement? We, we typically do three months as a minimum. The reason for that is not, we're not trying to be like super hardcore about it, but it's that because we have roommates interview the new roommate, it just gets tiring for the in, the incumbent roommates if they keep having to do interviews with new roommates. So, Do you guys do, um, like, do you guys post any of these listings on other sites like VRBO or Airbnb? Because I know that there are some people who do that. It's like, you know, extreme house hacking where they do what you do, like right? they make the place really nice and then list on Airbnb for month-to-month rental. Yeah, we we um we list everywhere. I mean, we're on we are on Airbnb. We are on like Copa, which is a midterm option. Uh, we're on VRB. Yeah, so we're we're everywhere. We're on. We're also on like Zillow, um, Zumper. We we list on like twenty platforms. So when you're doing room rentals, you just have to post everywhere because everyone's on RoomsterRoommates.com. People ask like, where do you get your roommates? Is like the internet, like all over the internet. People are no one has anywhere. No one. No one thinks I want a roommate and has like one idea. It's just splintered, man. So I think the goal for us and other co-living companies is really to consolidate that, consolidate it so people can go to like one place or a couple places like Airbnb and VRBO. And you're like, okay, this is where all the vacation rentals are. This is just a better experience. So I think in three to five years, that'll be how people find roommates is we'll be through our platform and other competitors. Mm. And does everyone have like their own like programmable room key to go into the rooms or like, how does that work? 
everyone has a program. Everyone has their own um, touch. They have a code for the front door. We just use regular keys for actually the door codes. One thing that we found is that most of the people don't lock their doors because there's the trust there. They, they share bathrooms, they share laundry. Everyone's like hanging out. And so over time it becomes kind of a family. And so we just don't, we haven't seen a lot. People don't lock their doors that much. And so we were like, do we want to spend 150 on smart locks per bedroom or do we just use a regular key? And we just did a regular key. No, yeah. and people seem pretty happy. Some people are just happy to be able to lock it, but it's real. like if you're living co-living and you're worried about your roommate stealing your stuff or, and that's just like, it's not a good thing. <laughs> you should be tr- living in a place where you trust people around you because you're, you're very vulnerable in a house that you live in. Um, so we screen very hard. Um, we do a lot of background checks, credit checks, everything like that. And we also screen for a fit, right. With the house. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any roommate drama or anyone kind of like talking about that? <laughs> roommate drama, of course. Uh, I mean, we've had, we've had 400, over 400 roommates live with homeroom. So there's definitely been some roommate drama. It, you know, it, um, I think there's like a part of the brain that just goes, you have roommate, like you have a roommate and you're having a bad week. And then gradually your brain's just like, that's because of the roommate. That guy's driving me crazy. And then, then maybe you look back six months later, you're like, that guy was a cool roommate. You know, <laughs> like, I just feel like the brain does that. And yeah. so we're kind of aware of that pattern within people is like, you just start to get like little pet peeves and it grows and it just kind of gets to you. And so we do like a quarterly meeting where everyone talks to each other to air out kind of dirty laundry. We also have like an escalation process if there's complaints, but we're pretty, we try to be pretty like, Hey, you guys are a house together. Um, if, if there's a problem, we have to find somebody. We find that generally we'll find the house because you guys are a team. And so that's really something we're trying to nurture. But yeah, we definitely have had a roommate drama, never had the cops called, but definitely had people who had to ask to leave relatively quickly due to some, you know, one thing or another, but it's very rare. Right. Out of 400 roommates, we've had to do that, I think, three times. Yeah, I remember back in college, uh, I had a friend and she had a roommate and she was really pissed at her all the time because she had to do some really weird things. She's like, this person puts the toilet paper rolls on the underside instead of on the top <laughs> right. side. Like, who does that? And I'm like, OK, right. these are like super small things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think they're just like the, you, get yeah, peeved that, you live with them forever, right? You, you get like, oh. peeved. Yeah. And it's like, but then you look back you're like that was the best time of my life. And so what <laughs> we're trying to do at homeroom and it's like, this is like the product side, the nuance of it. And like, we haven't gotten it right, but it's like, we know that people are going to get annoyed and then they're going to be like, that was dumb. So we're trying to like catch them before they get, go down that mental road. And that's tricky, but it is something we really think is important to making co-living like really healthy long-term. Mm-hmm. So when people want to get into like a co-living space like this one, um, like how are they financing these properties? And are there any extra challenges that you guys face in your industry versus just the traditional rental model? Not really. Because Homer Max is the master tenant, there's a lease in place before you even buy. So if you need to leverage your property or your income right, to get that loan, then we can help with that. Um, so there hasn't been many differences. Uh, it's, on average, it's three months. And if banks say we need six months for it to be a long-term rental, then we'll just say, okay, that house is six months or more only. So it's seen as a long-term rental by lenders, typically. Um, we do have some folks that do like to do the hard money lending route where they do the, they're trying to find a borough property, find off market, turn it into a co-living. And we actually really like that because to customize a space takes a little bit of special focus on the communal spaces, maybe adding some bedrooms. And so we do like when people flip to a home room because that means it's customized exactly how we like it already. 
Right. Um, you know, most houses have like a master bedroom and bathrooms, right? So it's kind of locks in that extra bathroom space. <laughs> I know this because again, I had like three roommates here and I made them yeah. all share one bathroom because I had the master suite. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I feel kind of bad because they have girlfriends coming through too, but you know, they yeah. made it work somehow. Uh, but you, you, guys... you, gave, you gave them cheap rent though, man. So that you're, you're oh, of course they're here. my friends. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, honestly, it's great because they didn't complain, right? They're like, Oh, like I can't complain because Sean's giving me, let me really feel really cheap. Uh, (laughs) So like in your case though, do you like separate that so that every bathroom is accessible to everybody at all times? Um, We, we try to maintain a certain ratio, right? So the ratio we find is the magic ratio is three, three people to one shower is like the max we really want. Um, So you, you, your guys were doing, they, they were fine. Um, you could tell them that they would, they were living good. Uh, four to one seems to be a little bit problematic. We obviously like the better, the more the better, like if we could have a a bathroom for everyone, we would, but we don't like to do five to one, five people sharing one shower. That's a problem. We've seen that to be an issue. So what we'll do is we'll jailbreak the bath. We call it jailbreaking the bathroom. We just build a wall in the master. And so you create a hallway, um, into the master. So it's now a shared bathroom. Oh, I see. So it's like so, a so, little bit smaller master so that there's access to the bathroom for everybody. Yeah. So the, and it's not a master anymore, but they have a huge closet. It doesn't always work, but it is something that we'll look at if we're like, man, there's five bedrooms already and two baths, but one's in a master. Do we want to add a wall here? It's not hard to do that. And it looks natural to do it, right? Just a hallway. No one, no, you can't tell what the work we do is all professional. It's the, the paint is done really well. So it's like, you wouldn't even notice um, so we'll do, we, we, we try to get creative with space to make sure it's as shareable as possible. So like your other example in Kansas city, we had a property for two ten. you converted from a four, three to a seven, three. Like, first of all, like, did you need any special permits to increase the room count? And then secondly, how much that cost to do those renovations? Yeah, we, um, so permitting is, uh, Kansas city officials, if you're watching this, um, so permitting is sort of a, a case by case that we allow the investor to make the decision there. We think that permitting inside without electrical work is purely cosmetic, right? And that's what our, we're basically building a single wall with a pre-hung door. We don't do electrical on it. There's no kind of, so we think it's up to the investor. Do you want to have this become a seven three when you sell it? Do you want these walls to be temporary? It's really up to you. We think both work when you sell, right? Um, And so that's really an option. When we do, when we convert a basement, if we add livable square footage, we always recommend investors do permitting because that actually increases the value of the house instantly. When you when you divide spaces with walls, you can increase the value, but not always. So we, so that once again, that's just kind of up to the investor. The price for a bedroom conversion is a couple thousand. It used to be cheaper because wood was cheaper, but to build a single wall costs between one thousand and two thousand dollars. And when you look at like the numbers there is you'll get 400 to $500 in rent. You'll spend one to $2,000 to get that rent. You're basically getting paid back in like two to three months. So that's one of the better investments. That's why we say, Hey, if you, it's always an option for investors. Do, they, do you want to do co-living with the house as is? Do you want to add bedrooms? We're not going to like really tell you what to do, but we are going to show you the numbers on each side. We're going to talk about the different challenges. If you, if you leave it, you know, and, and if you don't. Yeah. I remember when I was, uh, so you can see this, but the podcast listeners can't, but this is my studio. This is my converted garage. It used to be someone's room. And before I converted this to my studio, I was thinking, okay, maybe I'll make this to an actual room where you put up walls and stuff. 
but I couldn't really figure out how to deal with like the lights, you know, because you have lights on one side and your lights on the other side. If you put a wall in between it, then like it's not going to work right, right? Yeah, the electrical can get a little tricky. And so we do, that is one of the challenges that and you don't want to have like one light switch turning on lights for both because if someone else is in a, yeah. So there is some, there is some tricks there. Um, we will do electrical work and get it permitted if that kind of thing needs to be done. But yeah, you start to start to spend a little bit more money. Yeah. Electrical permitting electrical. That's now you start, you go from like a $1,000 wall to, you know, a few thousand. Yeah. And I've heard like some places they even have like these Lego blocks where you can make yeah. like fake walls or temporary walls. Yeah. So it looks yeah. good and you know does the job. I've Yeah. I've seen those. We, we've looked into all actually at Homeroom, we've done like every few, every six months we explore, like what's the new, like instant walls that they have out there. Um, and then we always end up just building normal walls. We just think it looks cleaner, better, but yeah, I'm excited. I like the Lego blocks. Those are pretty cool. I yeah, like yeah. Them. And you're reusable too, right? So like if you're done with this project, all right, take them, move to the next project. You don't yeah, yeah. Do you, want, do you want to, like the two people in the room start dating and they could just collapse? The <laughs> <laughs> you're good to go, right? It's so. awesome. So um, co-living space, co-living and renting out room by room was incredibly popular, especially here in the Bay Area where people were doing that for like um, like remote work, remote uh What's it called like traveling uh, executives or whatnot? Yeah, digital nomads kind yeah. of. Yeah. yeah. But COVID happened, and a lot of my friends actually who were in the Airbnb space went out of business. It was crazy. They're doing so well, and then because of COVID, they couldn't continue making those um, like rent payments to the landlord, and they just had to shut down. How did this affect? Like, how did COVID affect homeroom and, and this business model? COVID was scary for us, for sure. And, uh, you know, with Airbnb, you're maybe not sharing a space. It's private. So you don't have to worry about communal spread. So we had, we built a very intense, like regimented system. Like if someone got COVID, we shut the house down. No one could go in or out. We like had food delivered to the person in the room. So we only had one case where one roommate gave it to another. We had three houses that got it. Um, it didn't really affect us. We, we were down, we were pretty much at hundred percent occupancy when COVID hit. And we had like big growth plans for that Q Q2. Um, and we just were like, let's just slow down a little bit. So we just, we just coasted it out. We, I think it was just, it was a little bit of skill. We, we already had remote leasing in place. We had, we'd been doing that since 2019 where we do video calls for leasing calls. And then we do a, um, a virtual call with the roommates and then you can get your key code online. So we never actually would have people generally wouldn't have people tour the properties already. It would just be an online virtual tour. So we were set up, we were in a good spot in terms of speed of growth, our systems. So we, we did, we did fine. Actually, we actually expanded to Dallas um, in September. So we, we kind of, I would say we benefited from it. Um, it's still, it's still like, we're way happier today, right? With vaccines. So the thing about short-term rentals, and we talk about this, like there's the asset class of single family rental is cool. Great appreciation some cash flow, very, you know, relatively stable, but big $0 months, right? That's the negative there. On the short-term rental side, you have a lot of volatility. If a pandemic hits, you might be totally screwed, right? Um, but you can make way more money, um, but it's also a ton more work. We think of co-living properties as kind of like right in the middle. You're going to make more money than the, than the normal rental property. You're going to make probably less than the short-term rental. Um, it's way less work though. And it's just a ton more stable than either, because even if you have, if you have six roommates, if two move out, you still are getting rent from four. We've never had a house in the history of our company. That's been a complete $0 month for us, uh, ever. Right. And the most we've ever had is two out of six roommates gone. So you're still getting 
basically market rent. So we think it's the most stable model. You're basically getting the benefits of multifamily in a single family property by having multiple occupancy, but then you're getting the appreciation benefits of a single family property, which we think are is way better than multi. So we, we love the fusion of it. I, I think I kind of got off topic there a little bit, but uh, we had a good 2020 and I think it was a little bit of luck, but it, you know, we, we were set up pretty good as well. That's great. I don't know if you follow like what your competitors are doing, but I remember there was this other company. Hubhouse. Hubhouse. Yeah, you know. What? Yeah. So what happened with Hubhouse? Like, why did they, like, what, what were they doing wrong, basically? Uh, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, to really say, to be honest. I don't really know. I've, I've talked to Shruti before, but I don't, I don't really know, like, what went behind. I think there's a couple things that stood out to me about, the players on the coast is that they treated a real estate company like a technology startup. Um, and I love technology startups. That's my background, but they were building out some very heavy uh, bespoke technology very early in their life cycle and burning through it, all their capital. Um, they were also doing the thing where you just, you buy growth um, and I think another piece that it seems they did not bring in people from the property management real estate side very early. I actually interviewed one of their folks when they were shutting down, considering bringing him in for our operations role. And he was the first person with property management experience. He was their 24th hire. And I was just like, what? Like you, they didn't, why, why weren't they, they did. And so we've brought in like, we've brought in a mix of technology startup people, but also we have some really awesome people with property management backgrounds. So those are the three things that when I look at it, I identified with what went wrong. Um, but also it's just unlock, right? just lack of luck. If you're really extended in your growth and then COVID hits, you're in a lot worse spot than if you're still early like we were and you're trying to still figure it out, right? And so they just, them, all the bigger players, Bungalow got hit super hard, Hubhouse and June Homes all had issues. Um, but yeah, so. Do you think one of the reasons um, is because, you know, they're kind of taking on this master tenant role where for the most part, I think they are not doing what you're doing, where you're kind of like helping investors get their own thing set up. They're mm-hmm. trying to just do it themselves. Like they are mm-hmm. renting out the homes from landlords and that, therefore like their capital expenditure is a lot higher than yours would be. Yeah, I think that's another piece, right? We, we um, very early were like, we're not buying furniture because I don't want to own furniture as a company at all. Like I have no interest. Um, and so we transitioned to having investors buy the furniture and help us do that. And so a lot, yeah, a lot of these other players, they, they've decided to do a, like basically the Apple approach where it's like a full vertical stack and where they're going to control everything, which is, it's good for the customer if the business model is sustainable. And so I don't know if I think it is. Yeah. Also, like you said, bad luck. Like if it wasn't for COVID, they'd probably be like, again, like to the moon, right? They'd be doing really well, but because COVID happened, they got cut short. So they it's got, unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, it's a cool model, man. I mean, there's, there's a reason there was so much excitement about it from investors, from tenants, from everyone. Um, I think there has to be better for roommate tenants than Craigslist. And not everyone's as fortunate as their, your, your friends who have like a really cool guy who owns an awesome house, you know, that you can go live with. Like I would say like one out of 20 people have that. The other 19 have Craigslist, which is just like, <laughs> no one wants that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm again, I'm fortunate too, that like, I never had to go on Craigslist to find some random roommate. I've always had like a friend or two, like, oh, you want to get an apartment together? All right, let's figure it out. And then we find an apartment together. Um, yeah. And then of course now I have this house. So I don't have to worry about living with random roommates. 
Yeah. And like, you know, so, you know, I've always had, personally, I always had that as well. I always lived with friends, like for the seven years I was in the Bay area from like colleges and friends of friends and all that. Um, but it was like when I moved to Austin, I basically knew no one. I was like, well, this kind of sucks, you know? So then that the big relocation is, can be, especially once you get late, like I was in my thirties at that point, like the friend pool starts to get a little thinner and all that stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And again, as you said, you're moving, so you have no friends in a new environment. So you have to like make new friends and that's pretty make hard. New friend. Yeah. Super hard, man. Yeah. So going back to homeroom, can you tell us a little bit about how you guys help investors? Sure. So our process is, you know, very similar to a turnkey provider in which you meet with us. Well, you know, I actually did a call right before this. Uh, you'll meet with our kind of our initial, we have John who's like, he actually worked at another co-living company. He'll talk to you about how you can buy a property with homeroom and why it's a good thing. Uh, then we'll give you some, kind of teach you, and then we'll do a second call and go through a few initial deals, basically examples so that you understand how it works, what you have to pay for, what your expenses are going to be. And then the final step is we'll connect you to an agent in the field that partners with Homeroom to find a co-living property. And these agents are supported by our team. We have VAs in the Philippines who, is going through the, who are going through the MLS every day, um, and they uh, are looking for properties that look like good co-living properties. And then we'll do analysis on the deal and send it to the investor and say, hey, this is the your returns on this property. Um, we estimate you're going to get an ROI of 24%. Cash on cash will be seven, you know, whatever it's going to be. And then we'll say, well, do you want to make an offer? And then we'll, the investor will, will make an offer on the property. We'll take over once you close it and get it set up for co-living. You pay home room to do that for you, or you can do it yourself. We, we allow either way. But typically out-of-state investors have us do it for them. And then we take over from there and you start getting checks. So it's really a full uh, solution in which we teach you what we're doing. We help you find the right property. We do the work of setting it up and really you only have to buy it and then pay for the stuff that goes into the house. And after that, you'll start to get your your returns. And like, what can they expect to be paying for, let's say, home renovation as well as for like furniture and setting it up? Yeah. So the co-living setup is about five grand. Uh, That includes quite a lot. We get the furnishes, the common areas, kitchen, living room, dining room. The kitchen also has like, you know, we make sure there's appliances in there. There's kitchen, there's knives and forks. We want new tenants when they come in on day one to be able to cook a dinner with the pots and pans that we provide, sit at the dining room table and eat it, and then go in the living room and hang out with their roommates and watch TV. So the TV is provided smart lock, smart hub, smart thermostat, um, Matterport tour of the property. So that's all five grand. Then the renovations of the property are a couple pieces. It's repairs that we'll find during the inspection period. Uh, the other piece is if we want to build walls and that's really elective by the investor. And so that can be as little as nothing. If like, it's just perfectly clean and you don't want to add walls or it can go up between, you know, $10,000 to $20,000. Um, and those are all, you know, it's case by case and really up to the investor. So we have, we have an investor buying a property in Austin and right now. It doesn't need any work. You know, a few minor inspection repairs were done by the seller and they're not going to add walls. So they're out of pocket will be five grand for the setup and they're all set. Awesome. Well, Johnny, this has been an amazing conversation. How can people find out more about Homeroom? Uh, you can reach me at Johnny at livehomeroom.com. You can re- email me anytime. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, house hacking, kind of like what you did, Sean. Uh, or you buy a property and rent out to rooms. Uh, we love communal living. Um, so if you ever want to you know, have questions, if you're trying to do your own co-living or house act property, totally here to help. Yeah, you can also check us out on livehomeroom.com slash invest. That talks through our, our investor process. Well, Johnny, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here, man, and uh, enjoyed our talk. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, 
Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everything REI. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.